Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today, and it's good for us to be together uh, to worship God and to give glory to His name and to encourage each other as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Every living thing and every living being is the product of the creative power of God's will, of God's words and of God's hands. The Godhead made of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit made man and woman from the natural resources which he spoke into existence from nothing. But he not only brought man or mankind to life, but he also gave him a soul. He gave him a spirit with an eternal nature like himself. You have a soul. You have a soul that is within your body that bears a likeness in nature of your creator, of your God. Your soul is the inner man. It is the being, it is the person who you are within you, which does not stop existing at the point of physical death. And so when each one of us dies, when that time comes, whenever it may be, when that moment comes, your soul, your spirit does not die. It returns back into the charge of the creator, to the God who has authority over it. It goes into his hands to be judged. Our bodies, our physical existence, are simply a vessel. It is a house or a tabernacle, as some versions describe, in which your soul lives. It's that it is the very vessel or the outward shell of where you live for right now. It is for that reason that your soul, your spirit, is the, it is the most important aspect of you. Of your very nature, of who you are. It is the most important part of your existence as one who is made in the likeness of God. And that is why all the earthly gains and all the earthly accomplishments and all the earthly joys that we experience in this life are not as valuable, are not as important As your soul. So with that said, how is your soul doing? Is your soul prospering? In 3 John chapter 2. So this is the third epistle that the apostle John writes. And in in verse 2 of that very brief letter, he says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. 
Good physical health, as we all know, is a blessing. It is truly a blessing to have good physical health. And there is wisdom. There is wisdom in taking care of our bodies physically. As best as we can so that we have a full wellness possible. It is ascribed, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, that your body... This vessel of ours in which our soul lives and dwells for right now is the temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore is to be used in such a way for God's purpose, for God's glory. Reading those two verses in the first chapter of Paul's, first chap, no, excuse me, the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 6, in verse 19 and 20, By the Holy Spirit, Paul pins these words. Do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own? So he's writing to Christians like us. And he's saying, don't you know this? You should. You should know, if you're a Christian, you should know that your body, this physical vessel, this tabernacle that is part of who you are today, is a temple of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you have what you have from God, and that you are not your own. And he goes on to say, for you have been taught, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Brother Danny, in causing us to think on spiritual matters as we proclaim the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning, had us consider the idea of the covenant that Jesus has made on behalf through his blood. And you think about that idea of the covenant that allows us to enjoy the blessing of God's love that grants us forgiveness of our sins But we are reminded by the fact that it was at a great cost. It was at a great price. Somebody had to buy you back. That's what redemption's all about. Because each one of us as adults, as individuals that are accountable to God, each one of us at some point along the way rebelled against the creator, rebelled against God, and we have done and said things that are wrong, that are ungodly, that are unrighteous, that are sinful, and we enslaved ourselves under the power of Satan. But Jesus comes to buy us. And so he's writing to Christians who are tasting of the goodness of that redemption, the goodness of forgiveness and salvation. And he says, I want you to remember you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Your body has value. One, because it houses your soul your spirit within you, but also it is value because it is the vessel by which you serve God now. And so we are reminded here that we are to glorify God in our body. And it is in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the major point here is keep yourself clean from sin. 
Keep yourself clean from the the defilements of transgression and disobedience or rebellion against God because you have been purchased, you have been bought with blood. Blood bought you. Not yours, but somebody else. And so your body's important because of a number of reasons. And as a result, we can kind of understand logically that the physical health, our good health, enables us to be better servants of Christ. It enables us to be greater assets as soldiers of Christ because when we have poor health, sometimes it hinders our ability. We're not able to do as much as we could previously. Sometimes it will become a hindrance or to the opportunities served. And so, yes, good health is significant. And so we are concerned. We're concerned about one another's health, physically. We care about one another's health, physically. Just as John here In our text this morning, in 3 John verse 2, when he offers his prayer to God on behalf of those that he loved, he prays that they would be in good health, that they would prosper physically. John cared about his brethren's health, and so do we. We understand that. But I would suggest to you that the apostle's prayer in 3 John verse 2 implies implies that the prosperity of the soul is the greater priority. He's concerned about physical health, and he wants them to be you know, well. But he says, but I want you to be well just as your soul prospers. The prosperity of the soul was the first thing of importance. And then came the prosperity of their physical health. Now, for many of us, this word prosper causes us to think about what? Physical stuff. Material things. And why is that? Well, I would hint at the idea because we, as Americans, we live in a culture where that's how the word prosper or prosperity is used most of the time. When we talk about prospering or, or prosperity in our culture, in our life, so often the American thinking, it's very much material and physical. But this Greek word that is translated here as prosper or prospers literally means to help on one's way. That's what the word means, to help someone on their way. For example, in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul uses the same word. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, and it's not going to use the word prosper this time, but it still has the same Greek word. But look there in Romans chapter 1, verse 10. If you have a different version, you may have a different word. But notice what he says as he's writing to Christians in Rome. 
He says, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. That word succeed is the word prosper. It's the, it's the word that means help on one's way. He says, I'm praying to God that he will help me get to Rome. Is really the you know, more simple way of saying that. That's the word, to help on one's way. The same idea is used when we are commanded through the example that is given and the instruction that is given to the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. When talking about why, why do we contribute every first day of the week to the Lord? Why do we do this? Is it just because some guy said so? No, we do so because it is the commandment. It is the pattern of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he revealed his purpose, his plan through his apostles. And so Paul, writing to those Corinthians in this, his first epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, notice what, how it reads there in verse 2. And so this is familiar to many of you as Bible students. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. And so verse 1 says he's writing about the collection of, you know, for the saints, he, what he's telling the church at Corinth, the same thing he already told the churches in Galatia. But, he, but part of the guideline from which we are to determine how or how much we give is based upon as we each reflect on our own life how we have prospered the prosperity that we're enjoying because of God's blessing and so God has helped us on our way based upon that help we are then to decide how much we give by how much God has already helped us and so John in third John verse 2 is using this same concept When he says, beloved, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Is your spiritual health in better health than your physical health? Is your spiritual health in better health than your physical health? If John was saying this prayer on your behalf, and he says, I pray for you, brethren, at Northfield Boulevard. I pray that you will prosper and be in, cult, be in good health just as your soul prospers. Would we be in better health physically if it's based upon that standard? It's a thought, is it not, for us to ponder. And that's what I want you to do today. I want you to ponder this idea of how our soul that lives within our physical body is to be prospering. No matter what is happening on the outside with the body. Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16, talking about the body and the soul you know, the body and the spirit. He says, though our outer man is decaying, that's describing this physical flesh of ours, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed 
day by day. And so, yes, on the outside, I may be deteriorating. But at the same time, that is going downhill. Paul's prayer is, on the inside, we're going uphill. We're getting better on the inside. We're getting stronger on the inside. We're getting healthier on the inside. And so that our outside may not always be a true reflection of really what our health is on the inside. When you think about just this thought, which one is temporal and which one is eternal? Well, the eternal part is what's on the inside. It is the soul. It is the spirit. That's the eternal aspect of our existence. This outward part of us is temporal. And if we live however long we think is a good old age, and old age has a lot of challenges. Yeah, so many of us will kind of jokingly say, talk about how they're not so golden, <laughs> are they? One, one brother saying they're kind of tarnished quite a bit. But no matter what's happening on the outside, the eternal, the soul, can prosper. And the idea is, we have help. We have help to help us on our way. So that though, no matter what happens on the outside, no matter what happens to our bodies, whether we're young or older, we're being renewed. You know, we're, we're being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger. Our spiritual workout is just really bringing us into greater health. So that we're ready and prepared to receive that crown of righteousness on that glorious day. So with that thought in mind, what must you and I do? What must Christians do to maintain good spiritual health? You know, that needs to be my goal. That needs to, I, need to, you know, I need to be prospering spiritually. But, so what can I do? What needs to be my spiritual workout? You know, what needs to be my spiritual diet to, so I succeed, so I'm being renewed day by day, no matter what's happening on the outside? You know, because no matter what we do for our bodies on the outside, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is going to happen. We're going to begin to experience the unpleasantness of age. No matter how healthy we have lived, to, so that we can be the best we can be as servants of Christ. We are going to experience those outward declines. But we want to be able to re, be renewed day by day. So what, what do we need to do? Well, first of all, based upon the context of 3 John, and that's where our prayer is being offered, there in verse 2, Beloved, I pray. Now, this is the Apostle John praying... You know, we're going to talk about this brother Gaius and other brethren who were with him and associated with Gaius. He said, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you, Gaius, may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And so John's judgment is that Gaius is prospering spiritually. That's John's judgment as he observes and hears about Gaius. So what was Gaius doing so that he would prosper? So that he would be, as Paul writes, renewed day by day. 
Well, the first thing that he was doing, he was walking in the truth. Verse 3 and verse 4, as John continues to write to this beloved brother, he says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to he, uh, but to hear of my children walking in the truth. One of the first things that we need to recognize if we're going to prosper spiritually is that we need to be walking in the truth. Truth matters. The world tells us, no, it really doesn't matter. Your truth, my truth, it's all relative. No, no, that is a lie. That, that is of Satan that tries to ca- cause everything to be some this relative standard. No, truth matters. And it is God's truth that saves. It is God's truth that sanctifies. And it is God's truth that sets the standard of righteousness. In a prayer of Jesus, before he's betrayed and crucified, as recorded by the same apostle John in the Gospel of John, he tells us about a prayer that he offered there in the upper room. In verse 17, verse 17 Part of the prayer, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Talking about disciples. And particularly those disciples right there in the room. The apostles. He's going to send out to the world to preach the gospel, to save the world. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Why is that? Because your word, O God, your word, my Father, is truth. God's word is truth. It's not, maybe it's the truth. But I'm not sure. No, God's word is truth. All scriptures are inspired of God. They are God-breathed. God used men, prophets in the the Old Testament, prophets in the New Testament. God used men as vessels, as servants, as instruments to write it down. But they were guided by the Holy Spirit to reveal the mind of God. It is God-breathed. It's not just the words of men. And so the inspired scriptures are all of its God-breathed, and in its entirety, it is the truth. In 2 John, verse 6, it says, And this is love, that we, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. We need to be walking in the truth. We need to be walking in God's commandments. John also warned in that second uh, epistle about how there are some doctrines that would cause believers to neglect to abide in Christ's teachings. That there's always this danger. There's always a danger in every generation. There are teachings of men, doctors of men, that can be misleading and cause us to fail to abide and walk in Christ's doctrine, Christ's teachings. To walk is so much more than simply some acknowledgement that I believe, that I have faith. It's so much more. To walk involves action, it involves effort, it involves diligence. It is also so much more than simply just to, to make a profession that I love God. It's so much more than that. Think about throughout the ministry of Jesus and all the teaching, and there's so much there for us to feed our soul with. You think about that. How many times Jesus warned audiences about the emptiness 
of men's confessions. Because they're not walking. Oh, they outwardly sounded good. But they weren't doing what God had commanded. And how he addressed the idea of the empty words of their professions and their, the empty words of their praises. That sometimes their worship was vain. Why? Because they weren't keeping God's commandments. They were not walking in the truth. But that's not Gaius. That's not our beloved brother Gaius. Who proved his faith by his walk. By his works. He was one who walked within the bounds of the truth and was continuing to walk. It wasn't a once for all done deal. He kept walking in that truth. Now there's another character, another Christian that is talked about in this brief letter. And his name is Diotrephes. And what John has to say about Diotrephes is not very good. Because Diotrephes, in contrast to Gaius, was one who refused to hear the truth which the Apostle John had to say. And you see that, for example, in verses 9 through 11. Diotrephes was not a good example of, of what a Christian should be and what a Christian should be doing. But Gaius, on the other hand, is. Why is that? Because he is walking in the truth. It's interesting to think about the thought that John expresses in verse, three, you know, you know, verse 4 when he says, I have no greater joy than this. This is pretty big. I have no greater joy than this. You think about all the joys that you can experience in life. Think about all the joyful moments you have, you have experienced in the past few days. John says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. That is the greatest joy. And those of us who have some children who are not walking in the truth, Know the pain of knowing they're not in the truth. There is no greater joy to know of children, of your brethren, whether they are your physical family or whether you're spiritual, but there's no greater joy than to know that they're still walking in the truth. Because when a brother of ours falls away from the glory of God, when they turn away from the truth, when they cease to be walking in the truth, there's no greater sorrow. There's no greater sorrow. And so John says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking the truth. And so it delighted, it just brought the greatest of joy For John to be able to write Gaius and say, you know, I'm so glad to hear that you are walking in the truth. The reason why, because when we receive the truth, when we obey the truth, it affects our choices in this life. It affects our deeds and our words in this life. It affects our relationship in the life. It affects everything about us. 
And so if I want to prosper spiritually, like Gaius, I need to be walking in the truth, not just today, but every day that God grants me breath on this earth. But also, as you continue to think about the example of of Gaius and the words of our, our apostle John, we also need to be lovingly serving brethren. And that's exactly what Gaius was doing. He goes on to say, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Here is Gaius, who's not only walking in the truth, but he is lovingly serving brethren, you can contrast that with some things that John said in his second epistle, his second letter, which was not to Gaius, it was to someone else. But in his second epistle, he warns about the idea of receiving false teachers in such a way that Christians may actually become partakers in their evil simply by their association. So he, has, he warns of, of the connection that we can make sometimes that can be a detriment to us. But yet in 3 John, Gaius, what is he doing? He is serving. He is lovingly serving brethren. And so here he's a his man walking the faith. So if you're going to be walking the faith, it's going to include ministry. That's part of walking in the faith. And so here's a brother who is faithfully and actively serving brethren. He's serving those that he knows. And he's actually serving some he had not known or had not met yet. Now, there's no specifics exactly what he's, how is he serving. And we're not told. There's a number of ways that could be possible. But we're not told all the specifics, how he is serving and ministering you know, and displaying his love for brethren in the Lord. The kindnesses that he's, he's rendering to them. But we're mindful of what is said, for example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul, in writing to those churches of the Lord, as he's bringing his letter to, to a close and giving them some final exhortations and teaching, he says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us go to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's what Gaius was doing. Gaius was busily doing good, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And clearly, by what John writes here in his third epistle, Gaius's service, Gaius's love, as described in 1 John 3, 18, was Truly, genuinely, sincerely, in deed and in truth. That's exactly what Gaze was doing. Some of the very same things that John you know, writes about in his first epistle. And that's exactly what he is doing. So here you have a man who's serving lovingly brethren and extending charity and benevolence. And, and, and he's become such an example to us. In a very real sense... He practiced Hebrews 13, verse 2. He showed hospitality. He loved strangers. 
There's brethren that he had not met. There's brethren he did not know, and yet he's extending service to them. He's extending, he's ministering to them by supplying their needs with a welcoming spirit. He is practicing Hebrews 13, verse 2, in a very real sense. But thirdly and finally, when we ask the question, what must we do to maintain or uh, stir up greater spiritual health? Besides walking in the truth and serving one another, he said, verse 8, we need to seek fellowship with workers of the truth. In verse 8, says, therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And what's he talking about? We're talking about these men who've gone out for the sake of the name of Christ, not accepting support you know, from the Gentiles from the world. And he says, so therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. As Christians... We become actually fellow workers. We become fellow workers when we assist teachers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you consider the men that we as a congregation are helping in doing evangelism elsewhere in our country... You, as a contributor, you are a fellow worker with them. You may not be able to be there in person, but through the support we are rendering as a body of believers, a body of saints here, and, and our, some of our funds helping these men, we are fellow workers with them. Paul talked about this also in his letter to the Philippians. In the Philippian letter, Paul, for example, in chapter 1, thanked those Christians of long ago. He thanked the Christians in Philippi because they were sharing in the preaching of the gospel. Now, they weren't there with him preaching the gospel. You know, no, he was all over the place, going from city to city. And they're back home in the city of Philippi. And yet he thanked them for their participation, for their fellowship in what he was doing. So they were a fellow worker with Paul. And that's exactly what Gaius was doing also. Gaius, likewise, by his generosity, you know, was, had become not only a servant of brethren, but also he had become a fellow worker with Brethren who were going forth, sounding forth the cause of Christ. And it appears that some of that included, you know, these teachers, these preachers that are coming through, you know, wherever Gaius lived. It seems to be that it included him providing accommodations to these traveling brethren as they continued their work of preaching the gospel from city to city. And so as, as Christians, you know, we need to realize that you know, we become fellow workers, and we should be fellow workers you know, by extending encouragement to teachers and preachers of the gospel. You know, whether they're here or whether they're in, in distant places, 
or we need to be you know, showing hospitality. And it, that hospitality, it just can manifest in all different kinds of ways. That kind of extending a love for strangers. But also it includes, at times, financial support. And, and, and we do this, why? We do this because these teachers and these preachers are messengers of Christ who have been sent out to preach the gospel. Why is that so important? Why is this so important? It's because Jesus is the only Savior of the world. If someone's going to be saved from their sins and receive the gift of eternal life, it must be through Jesus Christ. There's no other way in that you can find salvation except in the name of the Son of God. And another reason why we need to support people in these ways because the gospel, this inspired writing of New Testament prophets and apostles, this gospel of Christ is God's power to save. The message is the power to save. And so we, you know, so we need to encourage and we need to show hospitality and we need to support such workers, teachers and preachers here and everywhere because people are lost. People are lost. And outside of Christ, there is no forgiveness. Outside of Christ... There is no salvation. Outside of Christ, there is no hope of heaven for that individual. And so if we want to renew our soul day by day, there are a number of things that we need to be doing. We need to be walking continually, continually in God's truth. And we need to Secondly, serve always with love, and we need to have fellowship in the proclamation of the very word of truth that saves souls. Our souls prosper when the soul is focusing on the right things. But not just the soul, but also when our bodies are focusing and doing the right things. And so when we are focusing on Christ... And when we are focusing on calls, on Christ's call and Christ's mission, when we are focusing on Christ's gospel and Christ's church, when we are focused on the right things, walking in the truth, serving one another, and having fellowship with messengers of truth, then like Gaius, our soul will prosper. And the, and the apostle's prayer for Gaius then would be extended if he was alive today in the same way for us. As he addressed us as beloved brethren, that we may prosper and be in good health just as it, our soul prospers. So the question that each one of us need to ask for ourselves and answer for ourselves. Because only you and God truly knows. And that is, is your soul prospering right now? Is your soul prospering? 
You know, and God knows. And the only way for that soul to prosper is for us to walk in the truth, serve as commanded, and have fellowship in the cause of Christ. Are you doing that? If not, you can. You can begin today. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, and you believe him to be the Son of God, and you must, you cannot be saved without faith in Christ. But if you believe that, then why not today begin walking in the truth? Confess that faith as Jesus has commanded with your mouth that you believe him to be the Son of God. And with that confession, repent of your sins. Repent of those things in your life that separate you and alienate you from your creator and from your God. And then be buried with Christ in baptism as he commanded to wash away your sins, and to be saved. If you've not done that, we want to encourage you to do that. Because without doing that, your soul is not prospering. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, if we can assist you in some way, please come forward, make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song that has been chosen.